May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're standing, you may be seated. The kingdom of heaven loves bad math. Maybe I'm overstating it, but Jesus surely makes it seem this way. He's always telling stories or performing actions where the math just doesn't add up. Whether he's feeding more than 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, or telling his disciples they should leave 99 to find the lost one, in regular tables and scales of calculation, the math just doesn't work. It's bad math. My fourth grader is working on balanced math these days, and even he could tell you the calculations that Jesus does throughout the gospel and in our story today do not add up to a balanced scale. It's bad math. Leading up to our story today, Jesus has been teaching the disciples about the kingdom of heaven, the place and time where God's reign and rule exists, where God's ways are the ways of life and community for everyone. Right before the story from our gospel lesson, Jesus was teaching about what accountability and restoration within the community of Christ followers looks like. He offered guidance for how to address when someone has sinned against you, whether they have taken ownership of it or not. So Peter, the disciple who so often gets it right and then gets it wrong, hears the conversation about being sinned against and the process of restoration, and he asks Jesus about the frequency of forgiveness. Of course, Peter assumes, like we all so easily do, that he will be the one who will be sinned against rather than the one who does the sinning against. Isn't it so human to assume we'll be the one in the right and others will be the one who do the wrong? We assume our decisions, our actions, our plans and beliefs are the right, just, and good ones. So like Peter, we think that what we need to prepare for is how we'll respond when others get it wrong against us. I suspect that Peter thought his suggestion for forgiveness was magnanimous, perhaps even a little over the top. Maybe he even had a little kingdom math in mind when he said, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Seven times is a lot, really. You know the saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Now it's sin against me once, I forgive you. Sin against me eight times, I'm over it. I wonder what kind of offenses Peter had in mind. Was he thinking about the people who would cut him off on the road, maybe sliding their donkey right in front of his? or the people who would go around him in the grocery line or exclude him from a friend group? Was he thinking about those little offenses or harms done that add up like mosquito bites or butter knife cuts to create extensive pain over time, those things called microaggressions? Or was he thinking about the seemingly greater sins, things like the spreading of lies that ruins your reputation 
or being cheated out of a job or having a violent crime committed against you or your loved one. Whatever was on his mind, seven seemed sufficient. But Jesus' response surprises and it shocks. Not seven times, 77 times. He could have said a million. Maybe that's why the number can be read as 70 times seven instead of just 77. Seven acts of forgiveness you can keep track of, 70 or 490, not so much. Jesus doesn't really seem concerned with the numbers. Actually, his point is, forgiveness is not about the math or counting or adding up in any way. Forgiveness doesn't add up in the math of the world that relies on the scales being even. But forgiveness does add up in the math of the kingdom. So Jesus is saying, don't even start counting when it comes to the transgressions of others against you as if eventually you'll be able to balance the scales of your justice. Today, we like to imagine justice as balanced scales, a blindfolded woman measuring to make sure that each is level. But Jesus' form of communal restoration, reconciliation, and justice does not rely on balanced scales. As it turns out, Jesus is not too concerned about balanced scales when it comes to being the kind of forgiving community he calls his followers to be. Instead, Jesus' way of making things right within God's kingdom relies on the immeasurable weight of God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Jesus goes on to tell a story to reveal as much. He says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. In the context of Jesus's world, these servants were likely to have been working for the king, potentially people in charge of gathering the king's taxes or payments that were due to the empire. The time had come for the servants to show how faithful they had been in their responsibilities. They needed to give an account of their actions to tell the truth of the deeds they had done. One of the servants owed the king 10,000 talents, which is basically, give or take, a gazillion. It's an impossible amount of money, and everyone who was listening to Jesus tell the story that day knew it. To give it some context, it would take a day laborer 60 million days of work to pay it back. It's the kind of number where the math will never ever add up. So the king decided he would sell the servant and all his family as a penalty for the debt he owed. Humbled by this crushing debt and facing the penalty ahead of him, the servant fell to the ground and begged, not for forgiveness, but for more time. Be patient. Delay your anger with me. I'll pay it all. Perhaps the servant didn't realize he needed 60 million days, but he was willing to try anything at this point. And surprisingly, the king responded with compassion and forgave the whole debt. 
Clearly, the king wasn't worried about balancing budget sheets in his kingdom. The kingdom was, the king was not going to let the servant's past prevent the possibility of good in the future. So the servant was set free. I know how the next part of the story is really supposed to go. It was supposed to be something like what my cousin and his wife did a couple of years ago. They drove from Ohio to Tennessee to celebrate paying off their massive educational debts by going onto the radio show of author, businessman, and creator of Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey. Dave invites recently debt-free folks to come on his show to tell their story. They give an account for how much debt they had and how they had worked so hard to pay off all the debt no matter what sacrifices it took. And then at the end of the show, they get to together shout, we're debt free. Can't you imagine the servant shocked by such extravagant, perhaps reckless mercy and forgiveness getting up to celebrate? Can't you hear him shout, I'm debt free. Wouldn't you have done the same when you realized that all that you owed was no longer going to be held against you? But that's not how the parable goes. And often, that's not how life goes. The servant stood up, walked out of the king's presence, and came across a colleague who owed him some money as well. It was a comparably small amount of money, only a hundred days worth of work. That said, the money of a hundred days worth of work would have felt like a mountain of debt to anyone who owed it. The recently forgiven servant responded to his colleague angrily and violently and demanded that the debt be repaid. So the indebted colleague fell to the ground just as the first servant did, and he begged for more time. And you know, just as we would expect, the one who was just forgiven so much, received the begging of his colleague, remembered his own forgiveness experience, and forgave the debt of his colleague. No? Oh yeah, that's right, I, I remember. Just as we would expect, the one who was just forgiven so much received this begging and generously gave his colleague more time to pay off the debt. No? That's not how it goes in the parable. And often that's not how it goes in life either. Instead of forgiveness or patience, the forgiven servant throws his indebted colleague into a debtor's prison until the whole debt is repaid. How often is it the case that we choose to let the debt of a past wrong linger by holding it over someone else? Maybe we don't throw people in a debtor's prison, but we make comments or jabs or snide remarks just to remind them that they still owe us for what they have done, for the harm they've caused us. Or maybe we just simply cut off the relationship and pretend like the person never existed in the first place. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to think that others really need to pay. 
It's as easy as honking your horn at the person who cut you off on the road. It's almost an instinct. Jesus says that other servants witnessed these unexpected actions, and in their distress, they went and told the king what they saw. This time, the king demanded a new kind of accounting from the servant. He had to account not for his lack of money, but for his lack of mercy. As it turns out, the consequences of lacking mercy and forgiveness are torturous all around. At the parable's end, Jesus repeats a warning to his followers that he has already made throughout Matthew's gospel. Mercy begets mercy. Failing to extend mercy through forgiveness results in a failure to receive the mercy first offered you. As Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And again in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And continuing on in chapter 6, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, forgiveness within the kingdom of God is rooted in the great mercy of God. Forgiveness is about restoring the possibility of a future for a relationship. And God's unlimited mercy and forgiveness extended to us through Jesus has opened the possibility of relationship with God to us, even though our debt is impossibly great. The worst things of our past no longer enslave our future by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Because God's mercy and love is always the counterbalance to our wrongdoing and sin, the scale never tips away from a future marked by the possibility of new life. That is to say... God's scale never tips away from forgiveness. Being forgiven means one is no longer bound by his or her wrongdoings of the past, but is now open to relationship again in the future. And offering forgiveness means opening the possibility of a future anew, a future not foreclosed by old debt, old wrongdoing, old sin. It should be said that offering forgiveness is not the same as completely forgetting. But offering forgiveness does mean the future is open to new possibilities than it otherwise would have been. The king remembered the debt that he forgave the servant, even as he freed him from the burden of it. Rather than forgetting, the king chose to hold the debt against him no more. The problem with failing to forgive your sister or brother is that it closes off the fu their future relationship with you. And the strange thing is, it ends up binding up your future as well. Failing to forgive another to a future 
failing to free another to a future unbound by the past results in a failure to free yourself. Keeping score or tabs on the wrongs done against you loads up the weight of debt on your own shoulders. And ultimately, the burden of anger or bitterness or blame that builds in the telling of wrong crushes anyone who tries to keep track. Of course, forgiveness that frees others and ourselves to the future is no easy thing. Doing the kind of math that Jesus does, the kind of math that tips the scales away from the unpayable debt towards God's mercy and forgiveness is harder than multivariable calculus or any other class at Duke. The good news for us is that by the mercy of God, it is not ours to do in our own strength. Rather, the spirit of the living Christ that dwells within us enables forgiveness to be a possibility at all. It is only by the grace of the spirit that forgiveness is a possibility at all. Corey Ten Boom understood this. Corey was a Dutch watchmaker who during the Holocaust hid Jews in her home to protect them from the Nazis. She and her family were caught eventually and taken to a concentration camps, to a concentration camp, and her sister died there in the concentration camp. Eventually she was freed, and after the war, she took to traveling around Europe and proclaiming the message of Christ's mercy and forgiveness. It was a gospel that her world needed to hear. She even traveled to Germany to preach there. And in her writings, where she recounts some of this, Corey tells a story about an encounter she had at one church. While she was speaking, she recognized a man out in the congregation, and she realized he was one of the guards from the concentration camp where she had been imprisoned. At the end of her speaking, the man came up to her, and he said, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me, but, but today I want to ask for your forgiveness. So he held out his hand in an act of reconciliation, seeking repentance, seeking forgiveness. And she was filled with anger. She writes, I still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You can supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart.
For a long moment, she says, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. God's mercy outweighed the harm of the offender and the hurt of the offended. And when we open our hearts, God's mercy and forgiveness will outweigh our harm and our hurt as well for the future freedom of everyone involved. Thanks be to our loving God. Amen.